Your angels are worshiping God whether you were or not, man. I'm telling you something. <laughs> I'm telling you something about it. You know, Patsy Caminetti was in a crusade with Dad Hagen years ago. There was about 10,000 people present, and uh, they were singing a song. She was standing on the platform with him and with a number of other leaders and pastors. She looked out at that huge auditorium and all those people singing and their voices lifted and the songs and the instruments and hands uplifted. And she said, oh Lord, isn't it so wonderful that all these people are worshiping you this evening? And the word of the Lord came to her and her eyes were opened in the spirit. And even though there was about 10,000 people with their hands lifted, worship, worshiping, singing, we should really say singing, God showed her in the spirit and there were shafts of light coming out of the tops of certain ones' heads and going up to heaven. Shafts of light. She could see it. But she said the number of shafts compared to the number of people was very, very small. If there was 10,000 people, I don't know how many she didn't say, but it seemed like maybe 50 or 100. Like there was very, very few. And she said, Lord, what are those? And he said, those are the ones that are worshiping me. The rest are singing. Do you hear, you hear that? He, there was a worship coming out of their spirits to God and he showed her that flow of worship like a shaft of light. And he said, but all the others, thousands of people were singing, but they weren't worshiping. You can come to church and sing. Your angel's worshiping, but you may not be. You can sing. Singing is not what we're after. Reverend Taylor is not here to lead the singing. In the old denominational churches, they would call it a song service and you'd lead the song service. They would call it the song leader, but this is not a song service. And he's not a song leader and he's not leading singing. He's leading worship, which is why you people say, wow, he's so passionate, Pastor Craig. And I think he's no more passionate than I am. He's no more passionate than his wife is. If you think he's that passionate, maybe you're not passionate because you and him should look the same. A lot of people look at the worship leader and go, oh, wow, there's something special. No, they're just like you. They just have a revelation of it. Praise God. He's supposed to be a reflection of you and you of him. So don't look at him and go, isn't that wonderful? Reverend Taylor is just worshiping for all of us. No, he's worshiping for him. And you're supposed to worship for you. And you don't come to That's why it doesn't matter whether you like the song or not, whether it's 1969 Maranatha. If you don't know what Maranatha is, you, 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 you're, you're too young. But, but now they didn't have very good music, but some of it was anointed and some of it was just cheesy. Just plain out Cheetos cheesy. And some of it was good. But it doesn't matter whether it's 1969 Maranatha or whether it's 2021 Bethel or, or Upper Room or whatever the stuff that you listen to. It doesn't really matter, Jenny. It, there's so many groups out there and they're wonderful and a lot of them are anointed and a lot of them are wonderful. But it doesn't really matter what the year, who, what the group, right. you know, it, what matters is the worship. I can worship to stuff. I was listening to, don't laugh at me now. But I was, I, I love I Jimmy Swaggart. I just, I just love, not everything. Some of it is just a little bit ding, 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 ding. Like I just, I can't get into it. But, but some of it is really anointed. Uh, especially like that song, Sometimes Hallelujah. There's just, there's just certain music. And, and that's back from the 70s. And I'm looking at the album. I'm like, oh my Lord, uh, something's wrong with me. <laughs> 1979. But, but I just see it doesn't really matter. I, 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 it helps me worship. There's certain songs that help me enter into worship. Not singing. Worship is different to singing. Yes, Ever talk to your wife and then talk to your wife? Jenny can tell when we're having a talk and then when I'm listening. <laughs> she can tell. Uh, Sister Sonia, can you tell when he's listening and when you're just talking? You can tell, can't you? 
Ladies can always tell. Women are a little bit harder for men to read, but ladies can always tell. You can tell if Junior's listening, right, Reverend Dan? Oh, yes, and I'm sure you box him upside the head if he ain't. You see, you can talk, but then you can listen. You can sing, and then you can worship. There's a difference. Praise God. I'm telling you, he hasn't said that very many times in many songs, so we should mark that song, because when he says about a certain song, he's saying, I like that song. God's saying, I like that song. Praise God. So we should sing that more. Amen. I, I, the hundreds of angels, all, they were all around the, the tops of the, they weren't by you, they, they were yours, but they were like lifted up. Almost their heads were at the top of the thing and their hands were lifted and they were singing to God. My God. Some of them worshiping more than we are. It's precious. Hallelujah. Isn't it wonderful when two species of creation join together at the same moment and worship God? The difference is, is that he's in me and he's not in them. And they can't figure out how God could live in Victoria, but not in them. And they long to look into the things of salvation. How is it possible that that piece of dirt, because that's what we are, we're from the dust. We're made from the dust. And when our bodies go into the other next, you know, after our spirit leaves, it goes back in, into the dust. They look at that little frame. They're, they're a spectacular spiritual being that is not made of dust. And God doesn't even live in them. They can travel faster than the speed of light. Praise God. They can travel instantly. They can walk through walls. They, they, have, they have immeasurable strength. They are super beings. And yet God says, it's nice that you got all that. I'm not, I'm not going to live inside you. Wayne, see this guy here? He can only run the, the mile, not in four minutes, in 40 minutes. Praise God. And I do it in 80 minutes. Praise God. But, but, but there's something about this dust frame that I like. I'm going to go inside him. And the angels look and say, that, that ain't fair. That ain't right. So all they can do is worship him and look at him. But we worship him and he's inside us. We should be worshiping him all the time. Praise the Lord. Now have a look with me in Psalm 63, please. Uh, I, didn't, I couldn't put a screen up because I didn't know the title of today. I can't come up with the title, so uh, we'll just call it um, the Bible, okay? <laughs> I can't come up with a title, so we'll just call it the Bible. Psalm 63, verse 1, uh, and it says, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. And in our spiritual climate of Canada, there's no water, there's no revelation, but we're longing for God, so we'll have water. It speaks of refreshing and this moving of the Spirit in our life. To see thy power and thy glory, so as I've seen thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. So it's scriptural to lift your hands when you worship him. Praise God. I just wanted you to, to, to look here, please, at the phraseology, early will I seek thee, I thirst for thee, my soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee. Okay? And there's many psalms. If you would run out of time, if we were to read all the psalms where the psalmist, David or whoever, tells God how hungry they are for him. It's all the way through psalms. So you can almost just spin the psalms like a globe and just put your finger on one and there'll be something in there about hungering and thirsting for God because it's, so, it's such a common theme. But would you look at our main scripture this evening, which is Psalm 84. The Lord dealt with me this morning, or uh, really this afternoon, and said, I want you to talk about this psalm this evening. So I want to talk, and there's some things I want to bring out in this psalm that I don't think I've ever brought out before, but, uh, but there's just something about the psalm that I want to focus on. How amiable, and that word amiable means loved or beloved. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. My soul longeth. Do you see that longing? Yea, even fainteth 
for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. There's a cry inside of him. There's a longing. There's a fainting. There's a, I love your tabernacles. This is what we're supposed to be. Yes, now watch, he compares the animal kingdom. Yeah, the sparrows has found a house and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Now, then there's a pause and then he says, even thine altars. It's not talking about the birds nesting in the altar. What it's saying is, if you look at the previous verse, I long for you. Now he's saying, they have homes, but my home is your altar. Do you see that? My home, my nesting place. Where I lay my head. Are you listening now? Yes. Where I bring my young. Yes. Ah, yes. Yes. Where I bring my young. The bird protects her young in the nest. The believer protects their young in the house of the Lord. There's a protection in the house of the Lord that cannot be found in the schoolhouse. That cannot be found in the, in, in the social media house. Or in the soccer field house. Or in the whatever other. There's a safety in the nest. And where, the, where, where God is, there is a nest. It's God's nest. Again, from the beginning, how beloved are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. My soul longeth, yea, my even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. The, so, the, the sparrow has found a house, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young, even thine altars. But basically what he's saying is, even thine altars is my house. O Lord, O my, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Now watch verse 4. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee. Amen. It's kind of an awkward phrase there because he doesn't explain like, but the inference is in the Hebrew, no matter what happens, you're still going to be found praising. Yes. Because you shouldn't really have the word still there for typically what doesn't really belong there. It should really just say, blessed are they that dwell in the house, they will, uh, they will be praising thee. But it says they will still be praising thee. And the inference in the Hebrew is, whatever is happening in life, your people, that their home, their nest is your house. No matter what's going on, you're going to find them praising you. Good times, bad times, deep times, shallow times, they're going to be praising you. Contented times, I've learned to be abound, and I've learned to be, uh, in, and to be what's the word? Abased. In both those, pray, you'll still find me praising. Praise God. And so I, I heard the Holy Ghost say, pause for a second, and, and I, just, I looked at the one to four, and I read it over and over and over and over again. And, and the Lord started dealing with me, and he said, did you notice the two themes that are found in this in these verses, the two points. You've got to look beyond the words and find out what the Holy Ghost is actually saying through the Scripture. Because if you just read it and then say, I've ticked my box to read Psalm 84, you'll miss some of the, the meat of it. Yes. What is God really saying? There's, there's a theme in these four verses. And there's, you could maybe add more, but I'm just saying that the obvious themes are these. He's talking about a hunger for God. Because that's where you see longing, crying, that's, that's hunger. And he's referring to the house of God, the tabernacles of God, the courts of God. It's the nesting place of God's people. It's the house, like the birds have their house. We have the altars of God. Now, because can we take this through the cross for a second? The Old Testament, you couldn't feel God's presence unless you went to the physical building. Do you understand? You didn't feel God's presence where you just wherever you are. You had to go to where his presence was living. Yes. 
and his presence lived in the tabernacle. And if you wanted to be around God, you had to go where God was, and that's where he resided. But in the New Testament, this is speaking about the local church, the gathering of believers, but it's not only speaking about that because we are the temples of the Holy Ghost. We are the nesting place of God. We are the house of God. Our hearts is God's altar. It's his tabernacle. So really, if we want to be scripturally sound from a New Testament perspective, you can't just say, and I've heard people say, this is telling you you should come to church. It is telling you you should come to church because a measure of God comes in the assembling. But this is more than that. This is about your, wherever you are, there is God because you are his tabernacle. You are his house. Do you understand? You don't just have to come here to feel it. You can be in your shower and worship him and feel it. You can be in your prayer closet. You can be driving your car because you don't have to go to a building to have God's presence manifest. You can know him anywhere and everywhere you are. But that shouldn't be the excuse now not to come. We don't have that at the exclusion of the corporate gathering. Because Paul in the New Testament constantly says, now gather together, gather together. The local church, the Ephesus was a church. They weren't all separate. They were together. Do you understand? We shouldn't have to say this, Reverend Greg, but in COVID, people's minds have got so bonkers with, with everything being isolated and separated. Remember, I told you, COVID is a strategy of the devil to fray churches, to get people lazy, to get people fearful, to get churches to close. Well, I'll just watch. I'm not coming. It's a strategy. So we have to kind of remind people a little bit that this is, this is important to come, but it's not just this house because you are the house. So really, what is he saying here? There's two themes. To be scripturally sound and accurate, there's two themes, okay? It is hunger for God, and it is a a desire, which is a hunger, for God's presence to be your home. Do you understand? We could not scripturally say and be sound to say it's hunger and it's coming to church because that's not completely accurate. It's a hunger, and it's a hunger for the presence to be your home. Now, the presence is in the local church, so you should come. But the presence is not only in the local church, it's also in your car when you drive home. The presence is in your kitchen table when you sit there to eat. The presence is anywhere you go and you engage God. You can be lying on your bed and engaging him. And that is where his presence will start to feel him. What he's saying is, I want you to hunger for me and my presence. I want that to be your safe place. I want that to be where I am. The sense of me, the knowing me, the seeking me, the praying, and and then hearing my voice, seeing my word, revelation, my presence. All of this stuff, I want you to hunger for it, and I want it to be your home. I want it to be what you, you know, you go to work, but you always come back home. There's something about home that no other place, no matter whether your home is nice or not, don't matter. There's just something about home. I was up for a couple days, went up there to pray at Oasis, but I'm driving back and I come in my house just half an hour before I had to leave for heat to come here. So I was rushing, but I walked in, Jenny, just three days being away. It felt so good to be home. There's just nothing quite like home. Doesn't matter where you go in the world or how luxurious the place is, uh, how many people are there, how many friends are there, how much great food is there. It doesn't matter. No hotel room is ever home. Now, we can see it like Pastor Nancy says. She says, the, hotel, the plan of God is my home. So when I go to Russia, I'm at home because we have to see it as home. But it's not this, that's not what I'm talking about. The plan of God, wherever you go, is home because God's there with you. But I'm just saying there's something about your home 
their natural home. Well, that's what it's supposed to be with your relationship with the Lord. You could be in the jungle and sit down on a, on a, on a stump, just make sure there's no snakes at your feet, but you could sit down at your, at your, on your little stump and just close your eyes and just say, Father, I just want to tell you how much I love you and just start singing and worshiping him with no music, just yourself. And all of a sudden you feel his presence come. You know what you've just entered? You've entered home. It's not your physical home, but the same feeling you get when you go back to your physical home should be the same sense you get when, you, when God starts coming. It feels like home. It doesn't matter where you physically are, whether you're in your home or not, the presence of God engaging God, when you sense he's there with you, it feels like a spiritual nest. Yeah. Are you with me? Amen. So it says, two, there's two simple things here. One, hunger. And two, hunger for the presence. Want the presence. Want God so much that he's your home. Unlike the Old Testament, we can do this anywhere. You don't just have to come here. Come here, but shouldn't, it shouldn't just be here. In fact, if it's only here, you're backslidden. If all you feel God is when you're here and not at home, something's wrong with you because you're only getting a very small sliver of what God has for you in your week. You've got to learn to engage and entertain the presence of God on a daily basis and a hungering early will I seek you, a hunger and a cry, my heart cries for you, like it says in verse 2, Lord, I'm hungry for you. I want your house. What is he saying when he says house? He means I want your presence, but they can only get the presence in the house. But now the presence is in us. So we better to say the word presence than house because we don't have to go to a physical building. We are the house. Lord, I'm hungry for you and I want your presence. Lord, I'm hungry for you and I want your presence. Oh my God, it sounds so simple, but believers have to just do a reset. Because there's so much trying to pull people aside. I don't just mean COVID, I mean everything. Busy, busy schedules. This and that and extra drivers and then social media. There's just so much. Shopping and birthdays and parties and dogs and, 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 and creepy crawlies and lawns to be cut and boats to be repaired. There's just so much. <laughs> Whatever, dresses to buy, not for me. I'm not just saying for the ladies, you know. Oh, well, she says, oh, well. <laughs> now, Jenny, it sounds so simple, but did you notice that's listed first, not, not second, third, fourth. This is the first thing. Hunger. Now, what did he say to me last week, Wednesday and Sunday? He said, uh, this is a turning point for your congregation. And he said, tell them to, ha- to pray for hunger. That's why we have a 24-hour prayer clock, to pray for hunger. I had something else to preach on tonight. He changed it on me, and he said, you, if the people are praying for hunger, I want you to talk a little bit about hunger. And that's not all I'm talking about. This is just the, the beginnings of it. But did you notice that everything else in the psalm came out of hunger? If the person didn't hunger and want the presence of God as their home, they don't get anything else that's listed. Because nothing else, without that, you don't qualify for anything else. So if you're not hungry for God, you're shot dead in the water, you don't even realize it. You say, but pastor, I'm an honest person. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not hungry. I'm, I feel cold. I feel like the, like the ash is on top of my little coal of fire. What do I do? The Bible says, stir yourself up. You can get hungry if you'll say, Holy Ghost, would you help me? Would you put a hunger inside me? And then actually get up and start. The problem, Jenny, is that people don't ask, and then, and then they don't do. And even if they do ask, they don't do. So they say, God, make me hungry. And there'll be a tiny little, a whiff, just a tiny little, just a tiny little thing. Pray. Yeah. Well, no, I've I got to watch my show. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Uh, read, read the Bible. 
Oh, no, but I've got to do, I've got to go on Amazon. There's something I have to buy. Worship a little bit. But I'm tired. It's 11 o'clock at night. I need to go to sleep. You see, if you keep violating that tiny little impression when God is trying to draw you, you've got to do something to blow the ash off the coal. If you don't do anything, the ash stays on the coal. God is not going to blow it off for you. That's what people don't understand. They're waiting for God to have some dramatic thing where now they're all of a sudden on fire. It doesn't work that way. You can have services where there is dramatic things and where they're marked events and it's like a watershed moment in your life and you always look back. Those are wonderful things, but that's not daily living. You're not having these extreme experiences on a weekly basis and you shouldn't need them. You shouldn't go backsliding to the great event and then backsliding to another great event and then backsliding to... No, it should be a continuous spirituality. And a great event just is a bonus, but it's not necessary from yes. that perspective. Yes. It doesn't pull me out of backsliding because I'm not backsliding. I'm always seeking him. Yes. Do you understand? Yes. But you've got to do something. Yes. You've got to put the tablet down. Yes. You've got to turn the phone off. You've got to tell the kids to go to their room if you've got kids. You've got to turn the TV off, the distractions off, and you've got to be quiet before him, and you've got to focus on him, and you've got to start pouring your heart out to him and worship him and fall in love with him again, the same Jesus that you loved so passionately the first week and month and year you were saved. He's the same Jesus. He is not lesser. He is not less sweet. He does not love you less. You, your heart can just grow cold. But you can get back if you'll do actions. If you will come toward him. (sighs) Come, those of you that thirst. John 7, 37. And I will give you rivers of living water out of your belly will flow. But you've got to, you notice Jesus said, I'm coming to you. He didn't say, I'm a water delivery truck. Beep, 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 beep. I'm delivering it to you. He didn't do that. He said, you have to make a choice. You have to be hungry enough to come. If you're hungry enough to come, oh, I'll give you something. You'll, you'll be so happy you came. But there's an effort made. So Christians want all this ma- magical stuff to happen. I don't know. I'm just waiting to feel God. Half the time, I don't feel nothing. I start with no feelings. Plus, there's demons there that don't want you to. So sometimes you feel oppression. Sometimes you feel darkness. Sometimes you feel discouragement. Sometimes you feel hopeless. Sometimes you feel like, what's the point? I go through all those feelings just like you do. But I still say, I don't care what I feel. He's worthy. No matter how I feel, the angels are worshiping him right now at the throne. I'm going to enter into that worship service. Father, I don't feel the atmosphere is not conducive. Taylor's not up there. I don't have worship music on. I don't feel, I don't feel uplifted to worship you, but I don't need it. I lift my hands and I say, I love you. And I just start to talk sometimes. I start to sing other times. I start to pray in the spirit other times. Just whatever comes out of you, don't make it so rigid and rule-oriented. Whatever flows up, just yield to it. If you want to pray in tongues, pray in tongues. If you want to sing, sing. Just start to engage him. As you do that, you're showing him that you're hungry for him, that you're coming to him, that you're making an action toward him, that you're crying out, you're hungry for his presence to be your home. And the Holy Ghost will run towards you. He won't let you keep walking and walking and trudging and trudging. He'll run to you. Before you know it, the ash is blown and the fire comes back and you just feel, oh, I love Jesus so much. If you don't hunger and if you don't make effort 
And if you don't want God's presence, none of what I'm about to say, you can't claim it. Because it's conditional. You have to hunger for him. I am more hungry today. And I mean this. My wife can attest that it's the truth. I'm more hungry for him today than I've ever been in my life. I am praying more today and, and in this season, which is now the season for the rest of my life. This is not just a season that ends. Than I ever have in my whole life. Don't tell me you have to slow down. You don't have to slow down with God. You don't have to, well, he would tell David Hogan all the time, slow down or you'll burn out spiritually. You don't have to burn out. The harder you go for God, the harder he flows into you. So, did you see here that there's a hunger for his presence, his courts, to be our home? A nesting place for our young ones. I love that, Jenny. That's why our young little chicks need to be in the nest of God. Not just in the house, although yes, in the building, but in the presence of God. At the altar, in our family altar, where we worship and talk about God. The young ones are safe in that atmosphere. Okay. So then I said, Lord, I see that theme of hunger and, and that hunger for your presence to be our home. And then, and then he showed me some other stuff starting in verse 5. And, I, and he just gave bang, 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 bang. Four, four benefits that come to you if hunger is number one in your life. Remember, hunger, Taylor, you're not going to feel it automatically. You stoke the fire and it builds. You get up and pray when you don't feel like it. And the next morning you'll want it a little bit more. Then as you do it more, you'll find yourself thinking, I don't, I don't, nothing really else appeals to me in the day. I just want to go back and pray. When his presence comes and there's nothing sweeter than that. There's nothing that I like more. There's no television show. I'm not saying you can't watch television shows, but I'm just telling you, the more you know God, the more that all that stuff just, it it just, it, it starts to become distasteful to you over time. And even the stuff that you enjoy, it just lacks luster compared to when God comes to you and you just engage him in your prayer time. Yes, amen. <laughs> Are you with me? Yes. So he's, I'm just saying hunger, this is a simple message. But he said, I want you to talk from Psalm 84. He said, tell them to hunger, hunger that my presence would be their home, not just in the building, but anywhere they are. A hunger to engage God, to feel God, to know that he's with you, to sense his presence, have revelation out of his word, to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and knowing his inner witness, to just engage him when you're engaging with him. You can engage with him throughout the day. It doesn't have to just be in your prayer closet. You can engage with him at different times. Praise God. And then if you do that, there is going to be uh, four things that happen. Now, the first three things, when I looked at it, Jenny, I thought to myself, these things that I'm going to list really in many ways are broad spectrum categories of, in my opinion, the biggest and most important, let me rephrase, they can be the, without them, life doesn't go right. And I'm talking very broad spectrum because you can do much nitty gritty within each of these categories. But it's like when you hunger, these things seem to take care of themselves. When God's with you, these things take care of themselves almost. God's power works with you to take care of these things. But the hunger and the seeking him is absolutely paramount, critical before any of these things can happen. And the first thing we find in verse 5, it says, Blessed is a man whose strength is in thee, uh, in whose heart are the ways of them. Of them is by telesize, so it's not in the original. Really, if you study this in the, other, in the original language and other translations, let me, let me tell you what this really means, because it doesn't sound very impressive when you read it. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee. But that word strength is a unique Hebrew word, and it's literally the word ox. 
and it means, uh, it means, not ox, oz, sorry, and it means oz, and it means a, a vitality and a force and a strength, but it means more than that, it means a boldness. It means an outspokenness. Are you listening? Now, I'm telling you how the Lord showed it to me. So just you take it or leave it, but I'm telling you how he showed it to me. So here, basically, you can place the word strength with boldness because that's really what it means. Blessed is a man whose boldness is in thee. Why? Because in that man's heart are your ways. Now, what is the word ways in the Hebrew? It means a path. It means his will. It means a thoroughfare. It means what you walk on. It means where you're going in your life. What is this simple verse? This, this, it's kind of in code. You've got to decrypt it through the original language and with the help of the Holy Ghost. What is this really saying? What God is saying is, if you, when, when, when my plan for your life is in you and you're bold about it, half the people don't know what their plan, the plan of God is, and then how could they be bold if they don't even know it? And if they're unsure, there's no boldness because they're intrepid because they're not sure. What does God say? It's what he said to me, honey, simple things. He said, if you'll hunger and if you'll engage me all the time at home and at church and just have my presence as your home, you'll know exactly what I want you to do. And you'll be bold. Amen. 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 That's true. And one of the biggest challenges in life that I found after these years of ministry, is people don't know what God is asking them to do. They don't have, they have a vision, they're part of the local church, they're part of our vision, but they don't know in their life, what does God want me to do? Is this career the right career? Is this person I'm dating the right person? Lord, I'm grateful for my church, I believe I'm in the right place, but but I want to get some more schooling. Where is the right place? I want a job, but I've got different options. Which is the right company within my field? And half the time, people don't really know what God wants them to do. Do you understand? And God doesn't call everybody to be pastors, very few, because there's too many chefs and not enough sous chefs. (laughs) Not enough waiters. Everyone wants to be the chief chef. Most, of, most people, even if they have a passion for God, even if they can apt to teach and they can go out and win people for Jesus and heal the sick, that doesn't mean they have a call in their lives. It means they have a call of what God is asking them to do. That doesn't mean that it's a five-fold vocational call where they have to leave everything and go and be a pastor. God has something for you to do in life. And it's just as important as the pastor's job. It's your job. You've got to be in the right place at the right time. You've got to be in the right job. You've got to to be focused. You've got to know the path that's inside you. Notice it says the path is in you. If the path isn't in you, you can't walk it with your feet. You've got to have the, the, you have to know the will of God. It's got to be in you. And you've got to be bold about it. Because if you're not bold, the devil wants to get you off the path. And so it takes boldness to walk that path. Biggest problem I find is happening with most people, Jenny, is they don't know what God wants them to do. And if they, even if they do, they're not bold enough about it. So the devil can get them off. If you'll hunger and if you'll engage God on a day, I don't say weekly, you're backslidden if you're doing it weekly. On a daily basis, you so hunger for him, you can't wait to pray. You just can't wait. If that's not your experience, I understand because I've been there. But just start 
and the Holy Ghost will help you. The worst thing you can do is sit there and do nothing. Just start. Remember, come to me if you hunger and thirst. But, but Lord, I don't, even, I don't even hunger and thirst. Just start walking toward him. Just start, just start waking up half an hour early and praying, whether you feel anything or not. That's coming to him. And hunger will start to build. And his supply will start to flow. And, and you're, that presence will start to be engaged. And oh, the joy of knowing God. Out of that place of fellowship comes, this is what I want you to do. This is the strength to do it. This is the money to do it. And this is the boldness, son. Now run. But if you don't have that, you don't, you don't qualify for this. Are you with me? The second thing is, is, is again, a bit in code. <laughs> You've got to decode it. Who passing through, you see verse 5, we read verse 6. Who passing through the valley of Baca, make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength. Doesn't the New Testament say we go from glory to glory? They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. Now, uh, what does this mean? A big category, Willie, is people just don't know what God wants them to do. And if they do, they're not bold enough about it. But in his presence, all of that gets resolved. Even if you're retiring... Are you listening to me? I just heard the Holy Ghost say, say, say this. I don't know who this is for. Well, actually, I do know who this is for, but I'm not going to tell you. I do. He, he told me he's, the person is sitting in here. I heard him say, say this for that person's sake, but I don't want to embarrass him, so I won't. I just heard the Holy Ghost say, even when people are retiring or preparing to retire, I have a plan for their retirement. And they should never lose that zeal and that energy and that see when you're working there's a purpose it keeps you going because you love what you do hopefully a lot of people they start retired they go and then they start feeling hopeless and they and there's no purpose no no if if you know god there'll be a divine purpose that kicks in when the natural job kicks out there'll be a divine purpose but you see, if you're in his presence, he'll show you. Now, this is what I want you to do. This is where I want you to go. I want you to help the church. Usually they can help more in the ministry because they're not as busy with their schedule. Yeah. So don't let retiring uh, kill you young. Okay? Because a lack of purpose will kill you. Without a vision, the people... A vision is a, a purpose in life. I have some reason to get up. People that retire, they've got no reason to get up other than to feed the dog. And then they buy a dog if they don't have a dog. But, but there's got to be a greater purpose than just going for walks. It's pretty pathetic. What's the purpose in your life when you retire? God has a plan for you. Seek God and he will show you. In his presence, that hunger will show you the plan and give you boldness. The second thing is it says those that walk through the valley of Baca. The word Baca means the place of weeping. What it means is when you go through a valley, it's not a mountaintop of Baca, it's a valley of Baca because you feel low, you feel alone. Those that walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Baca is a place of sadness and weeping. Let me tell you, I find, um, these are very broad spectrum things, Jenny, but this is how God said it to me, so I'm just saying how he said it to me. Because I read that psalm, I don't see any of this, none of it. Until he said, slow down. Let me talk to you about each verse. So I slowed down and wrote notes. And this is what he said to me. The first four verses, the theme is hunger, hunger, thirst after me and have my presence, my presence, my presence. Everything is about engaging me. You want to know me. You want to be close to me in the local church, in the New Testament and at home. Mm 
In the Old Testament, they had to come to the church. But now we, we don't only have to come to church. Now, out of that, he said, they'll have my plan inside them, and they'll have boldness to walk it. Number two, when they hit times of hardship, when they hit times of sadness, when they hit the valley of Baca, and we all, my brothers and sisters, no matter what you confess or don't confess, Baca is a common. And some people, they live in a bubble of confession. There is real life, and Jesus himself said, sufficient is the day of the evil thereof. There are valleys of Baca that are going to face every one of us. But it's not that you have to avoid the valley. It's how you act and add the attitude as you go through the valley. And you're going through it. You're not staying in it. As I go through the valley of the shadow, he didn't say, I camp, I'm doing, my RV is in it. <laughs> he said, I'm, I'm walking through it. Now, what does it say here? Who passing through the valley of Baca, what do they do in sad times? They make it, they make it, didn't say God did. Mm -hmm. They make it a well. And that word well means a springing forth fountain. And what else? They, the rain also fills the pools. I said, Lord, what does this mean? He said, it's a supply, son. Amen. When they go through sad times, because they've been in my presence, there's a supply for them. Amen. They're never afraid of a sad time because there's a supply. Amen. The pool is full. Yes. The well springs forth out of their heart. Baca or not, sadness or not, there's, there's a supply. That's what I heard him say. There's a supply for them. Those that know me, there's a supply for them in these times of sadness. Yes. And on the heels of that, he continued, and he says, and notice verse 7, they go from strength to strength. That means they go from one level of strength to another higher level of strength, which really what this phrase means is growing strength. In weak, sad times, if you know God, there'll be a supply, and you'll be in growing strength. Amen. Why? He repeats it. Look, it says, Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. But what that doesn't, what that word appeareth, that's not a great word. It literally means to see God or to have your eyes fixed upon God. It makes it sound in the King James like God is looking at you. Like you're appearing before him and he's looking at you. But in the Hebrew, that's not what it means. It means you are looking at him. So what is all the hunger and the presence? That's you looking at him. The author is just repeating the two themes here in this verse. What is it? Verse, the end of verse 7. He's saying, if you are going through sad times, there'll be a supply and you're going to grow in strength. Why? Why? How, why, you say? Because you're looking at him. Because you're appearing before him. Because you're seeing him. Because you're observing him. Why? Because you're hungering and his presence is your home. So when you hunger for God, he'll make sure you know exactly what he wants you to do. Amen. So you don't wander around aimless or doing the wrong thing and wasting time. And you'll have bold strength to do it, vitality to do it. That means no matter how old you are, you have a right to say, I have the vitality of God to do the plan of God. Even at 85, Caleb was chasing giants. He had the vitality, the strength in his body and the boldness to do it. If you know God, you're going to know what he wants you to do. If you know God, you're not just going to know what he wants you to do, but when sad times come, and they will, you'll laugh your way through the valley of weeping. Yes. You'll see everywhere you look in that sad place, there'll be a spring of supply, a spring of supply. Pools will be filled, and you'll just drink of that strength and refreshing, and you'll just get stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. Yes. 
The one that knows God, Baca, has no part, no portion for him. I'm simply going through a hard time, but I'm getting stronger with every passing day, and there's a supply for me, and I'm going to come out of this valley stronger than when I went in. See, most people go into the weeping place coming out broken. Not if you know God, brother. You come out stronger than when you went in. I'm telling you the truth. That's what God said to me, Jenny. He, he opened this up. He wrote it. He should know it. He wrote it. He said, tell them if they'll hunger for me, I'll tell you, show them exactly what I want them to do and I'll give them boldness and strength to do it. Tell them if they'll hunger after me, I'll make sure even when sad times come, which they always do, there'll be such a supply on everywhere they look, there'll be a supply and they'll get stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and they'll get through that weak time saying, I'm strong. Yes. See, if you know God, Baca doesn't hold fear for you. Oh, but if you don't know God, you're just like the sinners. The, the, everything affects them. See, COVID is a valley of bucka. This last two years has been a valley, well, not two years, a year and a half, feels like two years, has been a valley of bucka. But I'm getting stronger through it. Everywhere I look, there's supply. In my bucka, there's a spring over here, another spring over there, and another spring over there. Why? Because I know God. I don't just talk about knowing God, I actually know Him. You know what the Bible says? You say, well, I don't think you should say that. That's because you don't know your Bible. That's because you don't know God. Because the Bible says, let him who, who, who boasteth, boast not in his strength, boast not in his wisdom, boast not in his, in his wealth. Let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. God don't want you to boast that you're rich, boast that you're strong, boast that you're smart, boast that you're beautiful, boast about your house. None of that matters to God. What he cares about is, do you know me? The only one thing he tells us we can brag about, Greg, and that is, I know God. <laughs> now, we're not being proud about it, but we are stimulating you to jealousy. I know God. Better than you. <laughs> no, no, I know God. How about you? Right? I, I, do, I, I don't know God as well as I'm going to know him, but I know him better than I did last year. I do. I'm learning to hear his voice. I'm learning the stillness of that voice because sometimes I miss it. I'm still missing it. Dad Hagen at 87 said he still missed it. So I guess we're always going to miss it because we're learning the nuances of the spirit. Not everything is blah, 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 blah. Some of you, the only time you ever hear God is, blah, don't marry that fool. Oh, God spoke to me. Well, yeah, a turtle could figure that out. This is red flags. But what about if it's not so obvious? What about if it's a little bit slighter? What if it's not even a, 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 an authoritative voice? What if it's just a still small voice of your own spirit? What if it's just a sense of knowing by the inner witness? There's no Billy. This is a, a sense. You've got to learn that sense. That saved your life getting on the wrong highway and getting in an accident. I'm telling you. I was driving, I didn't tell my wife, don't freak out, Jennifer. I, 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 I was driving and I just had a sense, just pay extra close attention. I always pay attention, but just pay extra close attention. So I had the music on, the two kids are there talking to me and you know, they can be distracting. I just pay extra close attention. So I'm just watching the road, I'm just paying extra close attention. And I see this car coming, a BMW coming up. This is on the side roads back where I live. There's a BMW coming up the road, going pretty fast. I, I can tell that he's going pretty fast just the way he's driving. And I'm just watching. I'm just like, I'm watching. I'm not looking at him. I'm just, I'm aware that he's coming. But I just had a sense, just pay extra close attention. 
I don't know what for what though. Maybe there's a raccoon because I ran over a poor raccoon the other day. He got right in front of me. I tried to stop and just nailed that sucker. And then, and then there's so many animals that we're killing. We're murderers. People that live in the country commit murders all the time, but they're accidental murders because those dumb animals can't stay away from the lights. So we've sent our angels out to clear the path because I'm tired of running over the wildlife. So maybe I thought there was a raccoon, a deer, almost ran over a deer the other day because uh, he jumped in front of the car and you don't want to run over them because they'll come right into the windshield. They're big men. So I said, Lord, I don't know, maybe there's an animal. So I'm kind of, you know, I'm paying a little bit more close attention. And that guy's coming. I'm not really looking at him. I'm kind of just looking around. I guess he was on his phone. He must have been doing something because I'm seeing it. He's, he's going much faster than me in a little sports BMW with blacked out windows. So I couldn't tell who the, how old the driver was or anything. And I see him coming and he's veering across his line ever so slightly. Ever, and I'm thinking, well, he's, 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 he's. Jenny, he came right into my lane. I would have had a head-on collision. If I had turned to just for a second to look back at those kids, I would have hit them straight on. But because I felt in my spirit, pay a little bit closer attention. I'm just paying a little closer attention. And he's veering over his line, probably looking at his phone or doing something. I don't know, maybe he's coughing. I don't know what he's doing. And I had to swerve over into the ditch. You know, there's ditches. I had to swerve over. My tires are on the grass. I'm just, just, and I look back. It was so fast, I couldn't even honk. And believe me, I like honking at people. It's a personal favorite. If I have a chance to honk, believe me, you're going to get it, and a long one. Not a little courtesy, no, I mean a long one. It happened so fast, and it so freaked me out. I didn't even have time to hit the horn. I was trying to keep the car from going off into the tree. If I had been distracted just for a second, he would have hit me head on. WC. That wasn't a me, me, me. That was the tiniest and slightest little sense. Not a voice, a sense. Right. Pay a little closer attention. I could have easily said, I've got the blood of Jesus. I've got the angels of God. No, the blood of Jesus works with the inner witness. The angels work with the inner witness. They don't work independently. The blood, the spirit, the water agree. The blood works with the word, works with the Holy Ghost. They agree. You can't violate the Holy Ghost inward witness and claim the blood, you'll die. Yeah. Yeah. Are you listening to me? Yeah. We avoided potential catastrophe because a little small thing, little small thing, pay attention. Pay attention. Little things can save your life. Okay? Praise God. Jenny, we're safe. Don't, don't be upset with that now because I didn't do anything wrong. So number one, no, you got to know him. If you know him, you'll know what to do and you'll have the strength and boldness. Number two, when sadness comes, there'll be springs of supply everywhere you look. <laughs> and you'll go from strength to strength. And number three, and this is an interesting one, skip down to verse nine, because verse basically, ever looked at your wife and said, look at me, I'm talking, look at me. Listen, are you listening? I do that to Jenny all the time. Have you ever done that? Look at me and listen. That's what verse 7 and 8 is saying. Yes. He's basically saying, God, listen to me and look at me. Right. Yeah. I want to tell you something important. That's what the psalmist is saying. Yes. Verse, seven, verse 8 says, O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Listen to me. Verse 9 says, Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. Look at me. 
God, are you looking and are you listening? I got something important for you. Are you listening? What's the important thing? For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper, and that doorkeeper basically means somebody that waits on the threshold. It's just a security guard. It is a usher. It is a cleaner. It is a low level. Okay? I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Now, the word dwell means to gyrate or to dance in a circle. It doesn't just mean you're staying in the house of wickedness. It means you're having a party. Ever see somebody gyrate? Greg, would you like to demonstrate? <laughs> to gyrate means you're, you're boogieing, and it means to gyrate in a circle. It means you're dancing. What it means is there's a lot of fun and parties in the house of wickedness. But I'd rather be a low-level worker where my God is than having a grand old time with sinners. That's really what it means. Are you ready now? Are you listening? Notice it says above, uh, look upon the face of thine anointed. And I said that means listen to me and look at me. But it means a little bit different more than that. There's another level. There's a hidden level, brother. Because the word anointed is specific in this case on the Hebrew only for kings and priests. What he is saying is, I am like a, he's saying even if I was a king or a priest unto God, an anointed one, because in the Old Testament not everybody was anointed. Even, are you listening? Even me, the highfalutin one. That's what he's saying. I have a high position, but even in my high status, I would rather do a menial job. I would rather humble myself and do small cleaning duties in the house of God than to be out there having a grand old time with the sinners. What he's saying is, as a king, I'll clean. As a priest that everybody serves, I'll, 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 I'll pass the bucket. What God is trying to say here is, are you listening to this? This is very important. If you hunger for him, he'll always show you what he wants you to do and give you the boldness and strength and finances to do it. When sad times come, this is going to be everywhere you look. There's going to be springs and fountains of supply, and you're just going to get stronger and stronger and stronger while everybody else gets weaker, weaker, and weaker. And if you hunger after him and if you know him, are you listening? Because this is really important. The mundane things of your life, the seasons that aren't exciting, the doorkeeper seasons. You're going to have such a, a they're, they're going to become a treasure to you where other people despise them. Let me tell you, most people fail because they don't know what God wants them to do and they don't do it. The second reason most people Beverly fail is because even if they do know what God, I'm just talking to you after all the years, 30 years I've been preaching, okay? And longer than that in ministry of helps and talking to many ministers, I find there's trends with people. There's trends. Half the time, they just don't get in the will of God. But if they're in the will of God, there's always attacks. There's bakas. There's sadness. There's enemies. And they don't know how to navigate dangerous times, sad times, attack times, and it gets them out of the plan of God. Are you listening? Now, if you know what you're supposed to do, and you've able to circumvent this baka season and stay in joy and peace and get stronger, there's another enemy. And it's very subtle, and most people fail at it. You know what it's called? Being the doorkeeper. It's called training regimes. It's called mundane seasons. It's called not exciting times. 
Most people, especially ministers, but I see it with all believers based on their calling and their life, they might know and they might get through the big attack of the devil, but it's the little things that kill them. I don't mean physically kill them. I mean get them out of the plan. It's the I'm bored. It's too long. I can't. This is so. I'm built for more. I'm built for better. I'm a king, don't you know? I've got an education, don't you know? I've got a PhD, don't you know? I shouldn't have to just pass the bucket and clean the thing. I'm better than a doorkeeper. This is what destroys people. They can't hold the course when things are boring and things are mundane and things are not. They're always looking for some excitement. They're feeling-based instead of faithful-based. I'm telling you, I've seen this over the years. It's 8.58. I'm almost done. I've seen this over the years. Over the years, Greg. I've seen people come not called to the ministry or called to the ministry either way. And they've got such potential and they love God, but, and they overcome attacks and they might even be in the plan of God and the walking in the path of God, but the mundanity of life destroys them. They they don't have staying power. Faithfulness is required. Pastor, I don't have this rule, but Pastor Lachetic told me, he said, nobody and my spiritual sons, they all know. You don't, even, you're not, you don't even get to the first level of qualification to have your own church until you've served me for 10 years minimum. Yeah. 10 years minimum. He said, because anybody that serves less than 10 years quits. Because strength, character, integrity has not been built in them yet. Yeah. Now, God told him that. God didn't tell me that. Happy hasn't served for 10 years and he's flourishing. Yeah. Because God saw his heart and God is redeeming the time and speeding things up. But I'm not saying that that's a a standard rule that everybody, but I'm just letting you know, just being faithful and not trying to get a position, not trying to be the king, but be the doorkeeper. This is where people miss it, Jenny. I'm telling you, this is where they miss it. It's in the lowly esteemed roles. It's an ordinary life. What do you, I'm just camping on this. We might pick it up next week or I might not. I don't know. I may not get done here tonight, but I just want to say this is important. What do you do in your ordinary life? If you don't plan your day, you will fail. I'm serious. I'm trying to help you. Everybody wants just to talk about the glory and the anointing, but this is what brings the glory and the anointing. If you don't plan your day, Cole, are you listening? If you don't plan your day, I'm talking to young people, old people, retired people, people that don't even have jobs yet. Ordinary life is where, what gets most people. Yes. Because it's not exciting. Yeah. And, 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 it's, and it's just a mon, it's the mundanity of life. It's the doorkeeper syndrome. It's not really important. I don't really enjoy it that much. And, you know, I'm going to just quit any moment I get. And that's where you don't get promoted by God if you don't pass the doorkeeper test. You'll never enter it if you don't even know his plan. If you can't get through Baca, the devil will take you out. But if, but if you can't even be a doorkeeper, you don't qualify to be promoted. But the doorkeeper is a season of training. It's a mundane season. It can be a difficult season. It can be a low esteemed season where nobody's singing your praises and telling you how great you are. And God will lead you to seasons like that because if you need somebody to tell you how great you are, you, you, don't, you can't work for him because 
God is going to put you in seasons where nobody's going to tell you how great you are. In fact, the devil's going to tell you how great you're not and how he's going to murder you in the night. And then people, he'll send all host of people to tell you what a loser you are. And you have to know there has to be a, found, a foundation in you. Being a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord, meaning, I don't just mean in church, but in life, you don't get promoted if you can't be faithful where your boss puts you without complaining and without stealing the paper clips. Coming in on time, taking your lunch on time, going home a little bit late to show them that you're sowing a little bit of extra seed, being responsible, saying yes, sir, instead of being disrespectful and saying, hey, you. These are simple things that people don't get it. When they ask you for a job, do it and do it on time. When they ask you for extra, say yes and be happy. This is the mundane life. This is the lowly esteem. Nobody wants that, but they, oh, everybody loves it when the boss calls them in and says, I've noticed that you're one of my best employees. I know I can count on you. I want to give you 30,000 extra dollars a year. I'm going to change your title and I'm transferring you to that department because I need your skills over there. You're wasted here. I need you over there. Everybody likes that day, but it took five years of faithfulness and mundanity to get there. You with me? Yes. I'm just trying to help you. I'm not trying to hurt anybody. I'm just trying to help. Can I say some comments to you before we close? God watches the ordinary to see if you're ready for things that are spiritual. He watches the ordinary to see if you're ready for the promotion spiritually. <laughs> He's looking at ordinary things. You can pray in tongues for nine hours and then go to the grocery store and cuss out the clerk. That shows that you're not spiritual. You see, everybody thinks that spirituality is you, God, you, God, you, the church, you, the pastor, you, God. Spirituality includes driving. Spirituality includes how you talk to people and about people behind their backs. Spirituality, Jenny, is how I treated those workers when that thing was broken that they broke and their fault and then they said, nobody's ever treated us like this before. I don't know how to thank you. You've made our day. Now, I didn't feel that. But that was a spiritual response. True. See, God is watching my ordinary life to see if I'm ready for spiritual promotion. Because I can pray a lot, but if I can't talk to the clerk at the counter right, yeah. I'm just being honest with you. Because my wife's really helped me because she's naturally nice. New fees... I don't know if you knew this. Newfies are just naturally nice people. No, they really are. Like, I'm serious. They really are just naturally nice. It doesn't, it's not automatic for them to be rude and hard. At least all the ones I've met. But Africans, it is natural for us to be mean. <laughs> just, I don't know. I don't know. My mother's shaking her head. Maybe it's just me is natural for me to be mean. I don't know. But, but Jenny, Jen, I would just snap at people. Do your job. Do your job. Like the waiter. She, I asked her for the Coke. I don't know how many minutes ago. I'm still waiting. Now, what I normally do is stand up, go talk to the manager, and says, you need to deal with that person. I've been waiting 20 minutes for that Coke. This is bad service. I'm about to get up. And I look at my wife, and I said, Where, where's the Coke? Where's the Coke? I see her walking around. What's she doing? Is she chatting? Where's my Coke? And Jenny just says, honey, it's called patience. Mm. <laughs> so I don't get up and find the manager. She knows I've done it many times. 
And I just said, Lord, I'm going to have a spiritual response. I'm going to put my flesh under. I'm going to have a spiritual response. So she come back and everything in me wants to let her know that she's failing her job. This is her job. This is what she does. And she's failing. But instead, I just said, honey, I know you're so busy. I can see you're so busy. Please, when you get a minute, no rush. When you get a minute, would you please bring me my Coke? She forgot it a second time. I said to the next waiter, that lady is so busy. She's doing such a great job. But I've been waiting for my Coke. I was just wondering if you, oh, sure. And then a third waiter had to bring it. Right? But, no, I just, this is real life. You're all laughing, but you know what I'm talking about. Or when you're in the bank queue and, 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 the, and the tellers are talking. Is your job to talk or is your job to serve me? Where's the manager? Deal with them. But, but, and that's okay to say that, I guess, but, but really what the spiritual response is just to say, Lord, I thank you for patience. I know, they're, I know they're trying their best. I know they're doing the best job. And then get up to them and say, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm good. Good, good. I'm not, I'm not saying you can't call people on, on things because you sometimes have to. You can't be treated like a carpet. But, but there is such an edge with us. Do you understand? God is looking in our ordinary life, Jenny, to see if we qualify for spiritual promotion. Because it's not just how much you pray, it's how you treat people. I know I'm on toes, it's 9.07, I have to quit, but I probably will pick it up next week because there's more important stuff I didn't get out. But let me just say this because I can just feel the ants crawling over certain people's skin. So I'll just say a little bit more so the ants can bite you. Praise God. But but, but let me me tell you, uh, you can pray all you want, but if you can't treat your spouse kindly, it's not gonna work. I'm telling you. You don't know how many counseling sessions that we've done where the wife tells us, you know, Pastor, I, I didn't mean to upset him. You know, I just said this. And he all often slapped me as hard as he could across the face. But you know what, Pastor? I'm learning that the grace of God is sufficient. Now, you see, that, that's, a bro- that's a broken mind. Now, the grace of God is sufficient, but somebody better deal with that man. Because if, God, if he doesn't change, he'll die young. The judgment of God will come on him. Kenneth Hagin ended a camp meeting and said, after all the, a wonderful camp meeting, everybody's smiling. He started to prophesy. As he closed the last, the last part of the last service, there's three men in here. God's been dealing with you about your spouse and you're, and you're not treating her right. You'll be dead before next camp meeting. I'll see you in heaven. If you don't change. Uh, you'll be dead. The next year, three of those pastors dropped dead. The next year he got up and he said, at the very end, oh, before I say goodbye, I hear the Lord say, there's three more of you in this room. If you don't change, you'll be dead before next September, whatever the month was. And the next, the three of them dropped dead. And all of it was about how they treated their wife. You can't treat your wife however you want. Well, she's my wife. No, she's God's. He loaned her to you. And you better treat her the right way or God's going to have something to say about it. Are you with me? And, hus- and wives, uh, uh, it's usually the other way, but sometimes wives can be a bit ornery too. How you treat your husband. You want to be spiritual and have God promote you. It's not just prayer and if you tithe. It's how you treat each other. It's how you treat your spouse. It's how you treat each other. It's how you treat the local church. It's how you treat the teller at the bank. Because God is watching everything you do. 
It's not just the spiritual things that he's marking down. It's daily, ordinary, mundane, doorkeeper stuff that you think you're better than because you're an anointed one. You're a king and a priest. I'm better than that. But God says, no, you're not better than that. And you're going to serve and you're going, Mr. King, you're going to serve until I know that the kingship is out of you. Until you don't see yourself like a king anymore, will you see yourself as a servant? And when you get to that place, oh, I've got a blessing for you. So it's not just enough to know what God wants, and it's not just enough to get through attacks and sad times. It's the daily grind and being spiritual. Do you even wake up to pray? If you don't organize your day, everybody's got 24 hours, everybody. There's not 25. Everybody's got 24. How you handle the 24 is very important. These are natural things, but they are all to do with spiritual promotion. God can't trust you with greater things if, he, if you can't even get your day right. So figure out, subtract your sleep, because you have to sleep. Figure out what you need and what is healthy, seven, eight hours, whatever it is. And then now you know you've got about, what is that, 16, 17 hours left. What you're going to do. No, seriously. I don't know if you realize, but I track my whole day. Everything is organized. I never used to, and I found I wasn't getting a lot done. And you know what was suffering when? Suffering when? Was my time with God always seemed to take the last place because the pressures of life and the bills having to be paid and the meetings and the counseling and the this and the traveling and all this stuff has to happen. So if I run out, then I guess God gets the, the dregs. But he started dealing with me about that. If, if you don't, that's your daily ordinary routine. If you don't fix that, I can't promote you. I have to. No, no, it's not they have to get it. I, God says, have to get it. The rest of them can wait. I have to come first. You put me first. Like you put your tithe first with your money. You put your tithe of your time first. You put me first. But then you've got to organize your day because there's only so many hours. And if you look at how much time you actually waste, it will astonish you. And this social media, as great as it is, is a robber of time. Just be careful. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, but be, guard your time. Time is the most precious commodity. Of, it's far more valuable than money. Make sure that God comes first, that you spend time with him first. Make sure that church, whenever the doors are open, whatever you can do, because this is the body of Christ. It is part of God. Make sure it comes next. Then there's work, and then there's sleep, and then there's chores, and then there's family, and then there's fun time and alone time. There's so much, and there's so little time. But make sure God comes first. And make sure the doorkeeper in the house of the Lord that's serving, but also the stuff that you do for your job, just, just the daily order. There's got to be a divine order in your day. If you don't, your life will just be a shambles. And you'll never get where God wants you to go. Hallelujah. I didn't finish, but maybe I'll finish next time because I went on a few bunny trails, but I think, think they were important. At least I felt the Holy Ghost tell me to do them. But just remember, a hunger for God and seeking his face every day with a divine order in your day where he is first. He's more important than sleep. He's more important than food. He's more important than your job. He's more important than your mate. He's more important than your kids. He's more important than the local church. He's more important than your health. He's more important than everything. Put him first. Seek ye first the Lord God and his kingdom and be right about it, his righteousness. And all this stuff, it'll show up. 
You're seeking the stuff, but you got to put him first. I know that's so simple, but that's what he's saying. I hunger. Your presence is my home. Put him first. Tomorrow morning, if you leave your day for your work without spending time with God, you are out of divine order. Well, I pray at night. You can, but there's something about starting your day with God. You never hear him say, I, I'll seek you first late at night. He says early, and then other times he says, I'll do it day and night. But day is always mentioned in the Bible first, never night first. So this, this night hawk owl mentality, it ain't right. God, the tithe is first, not the last 10%, the first 10%. The first part of your day is God's. But I have to leave at 7 o'clock because of traffic. Well, then get up an hour early. But I'm tired. Okay, well, this is, this is where the rubber meets the road. Is God first? Yeah. Is the mundanity of life, are you going to put a divine order in that? Because if you can't do the simple things, you don't get promoted. You may know what he wants you to do, and you might get through the attacks of the devil. But if you can't even have a prayer life, if you can't even organize your day and take care of your family and clean your house and get all this stuff in this order, Daily mundane order, but it's important to God. If you can't do that, you don't qualify for all the stuff he wants you to do. And most of you I know have this. You're mature people. Some of you maybe need a little bit of a reminder. A lot of you have your day perfectly organized. You know exactly what you're doing. But where's God in all of that? Where's your prayer time? Where's your worship time? Are you fitting him in? Or are you fitting life in around him? You have to fit life in around him. Life revolves around him. He doesn't revolve around your little life. Everything comes second. Your morning is your sanctuary. It is your precious time. Whether it's five minutes, 10 minutes, or five hours, you've got to figure out what your measure of faith is and what God's asking you to do, but you better do something or you're going to backslide faster than you can say Jack Rabbit. And when the season of Baca comes, you won't be able to stand. And then when, you, when you've got decisions to make of how to organize your day and how to organize, you won't know how to do that because you haven't put in good systems and you haven't put God first. You hunger after him and his presence being your home, you'll know what he wants you to do. There'll be strength when sadness and weak times come. And when you're in these seasons of obscurity, hard times, difficult times, I don't mean baka attack times. I mean just daily, mundane, lowly esteemed times. I don't like my job. It's so boring. But, but you learn how to tap into God at home because you've got a divine order. And that strength comes out of you while you're in your doorkeeper role. And he watches how you treat people and how you treat your job. And if you're on time and how you're talking, he watches to see are they ready for the next thing? But if you've spent time with God, you're going to respond right and you're going to qualify for promotion. If you don't spend time with God in the morning, there's not going to be a reservoir in you. You're going to respond wrong and you're not going to get promoted. Are you with me? He wants to promote you. He wants to. But you got, this is not maybe a shouting sermon, but hopefully it's a helpful, helpful sermon that you just... Just spend time with God. Just spend time with God. It's not hard to spend time with Him. <laughs> and when you, when you first start, I remember what it was like years ago. You turn off the television and you say, okay, you know, Lord, I'm, I'm here and, and I'm ready. I'm ready. Come on, I'm ready. And you're waiting for some big dramatic glory center. 
And God purposely doesn't show up. Purposely. Because he's not going to give you what you think that you deserve. So he wait, lets you sit there for an hour. And then you quit and go to sleep. And then the next day, he lets you sit there for another hour. He wants to see if you're going to quit. He wants to see your staying power. And then after a little bit of time passes and he sees you're not going to give up on him that easy, then he starts to, just starts to come a little bit. And then it grows. And it takes weeks. And it takes months. And it takes years. And he sees this person ain't quitting. I knew in my foreknowledge they weren't, but I have to let him prove it out. This person loves me. This person's put me ahead of everything else. Now, now I'm going to show them what I want them to do. I see this in an attack of the enemy coming. Buck is coming. Here, here's all the strength that you need. You see this mundane job you got? Don't worry, I got something better for you. Now just do this, 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 and this, and you're going to get out of this. I'm going to organize it for you. But it all starts with what you're going to do tomorrow morning. Are you listening to me? Yes. Uh, the, 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 most guest ministers won't talk like this. They're just going to give you a blow-in, blow-up, blow-out sermon. A pastor helps you with daily living. Yes. Tomorrow morning, what are you going to do? Forget about if you feel the glory. What are you going to do tomorrow morning? Make a decision tonight. Everybody, you know when you're getting up, you know when you're going to work. All of you, it's different. Make a decision of when you're going to wake up tomorrow morning. Mm -hmm. Even if it's five minutes, give God something. Yeah. It won't stay at five minutes for long because he'll demand more of you and the desire of your heart will cry for more and your sleep won't seem that important to you after a while and you'll just keep getting up earlier and earlier and earlier because you crave him. That's why he says, my heart cries for you. Nothing matters to me but you. But when you don't feel that, you've got to start with five minutes. And it's going to have to be just a dry five minutes, but do it. Because very soon it won't be dry. Amen. Want to add anything, honey? Father, I thank you. You're helping us. Lord, you're helping us with Psalm 84. Maybe that should just be the sermon title, Father, is Psalm 84. Because I don't even know what to call this. But Lord, we, we want to hunger for you. We hunger for you right now. With every, with every eye, head bowed and eyes closed just for 20 more seconds before I dismiss you. Father, on behalf of this precious congregation and the ones watching at home, Lord, they wouldn't have been out here on a Wednesday night if they, were, if they weren't hungry for you. It takes hunger to come in a midweek service. Lord, for the ones watching, it takes hunger and discipline to watch the service on a midweek. Lord, you see their hearts. They already have a measure of hunger. But Lord, you said to me last week, this is a turning point for your congregation. Tell them to hunger and thirst after me and the mighty flow of the Holy Ghost will come into their life in an astonishing way. So Father, I've been having the prayer chain pray for hunger. Lord, you told me tonight, focus on hunger because that's what they're praying for. Lord, I'm asking that you would help every person within the sound of my voice, whether in person or watching. Lord, let the divine hunger of God begin to stir them in their hearts. Let the wooing of the Holy Ghost come and draw them to you, Father. Let, let spending time with you supersede even sleep or anything else that is on their agenda. Because, Father, we've got to have you. We've got to know you. We, we love you and we've got to spend time with you. Out of that will come all the things we need out of seeking you all these things shall be added unto us out of seeking you the plan of God will come the strength through Baca seasons will come and the divine order of how we organize daily ordinary life it will come out of that time with you 
and life will become sweet again. Life will become purposeful again because it's not just about our job or money or getting married or children or all the host of other things which all have their place. It's about you and your presence is our home. Your presence is our nesting place. Your presence is where we have to be. We have to feel you. We have to know you. We have to love you, Father. We're addicted to you. We've got to have you. We're going to do whatever it takes to have you. And everything will flow out of that place of intimacy. So I thank you, Father, that there's an impartation tonight by those that have listened and those that have been here in person. An impartation, Lord, as far as I understand it, Father, for hunger to come. As I've been preaching on it, I thank you that the Spirit of God is hovering over them and the seed of the Word goes into good soil and it's bearing fruit. And I thank you that the tree of hunger sprouts forth in their hearts. I thank you for an impartation of hunger tonight. In Jesus' name, a hunger like that simple childlike hunger they had when they first got saved. That seeing Jesus so beautiful the way he is, wanting him more than television, more than sleep. Not that we can't have the other things, but Lord, they all come second, third, fourth, and fifth. You come first. Lord, let a hunger burn in their chest tonight. Let it translate over to tomorrow morning. Let it translate into them setting their alarm. Let them get up tired even if they're tired. Let them get up and say, Father, I'm here for you. I love you. I lift my hands and I worship you. Come, Holy Ghost, and help me. I'm about to face a day now. I'm going to do it with you and we're going to win. Oh, Father, let this great desire of hunger burn in every heart. In Jesus' mighty, holy, precious name. And I thank you, Lord, that you're watching daily life to see if they're ready for the next thing you have for them. You're watching our church to see if we're ready for the next thing you have for us corporately. I give you praise and I give you thanks. I just, have, I just heard the Holy Ghost by a word of knowledge say there's somebody here. I think it's a woman, but I don't know. Seems to me a woman that you've been working at your job and you've been doing the best that you can and you are doing these right things. You are being honorable. You're doing everything you know and promotion has not come. And the thought has crossed your mind. Is it because I'm a person of color? Is it because I'm this? Is it because I'm that? Are they, are they taking a slight against me? And I hear the Holy Ghost say, thus saith the Lord, if you will continue being honorable, and doing what I show you to do in that environment, in that work environment. If they do not promote you, for yes, promotion is overdue. But I am dealing with humans. If they will not, I will open up another avenue for you. I will open up a completely new job that is going to bless your socks off. So do not quit. Do not speak against the boss. Do not speak against my word. Do not get frustrated and cast away your confidence. Hold your course. If they won't promote you, I will supernaturally intervene and I will open up a new path for you. Now I'm saying that by the spirit, that is, by, that is a word of prophecy. Whoever that young, it could be a man too, but it's sent, I sense in my spirit there's a young lady here that needs to hear that. Whoever that is, you've been frustrated, feeling like they're overlooking you. And maybe they are. But don't you get upset about it and don't you cast off your faith and don't you change your confession. You hold, you hold fast because God is not limited by those people. He's giving them a season to treat you right. If they won't, he is going to open up a brand new path for you and he's going to bless your socks off. So don't you quit and don't you get over into doubt and unbelief and offense. It will surely come to pass. 
I don't know who that's for, but I'm telling you that is for, uh, uh, if if it applies to you, take it. But there's a young black lady in here that that applies to because I heard the Holy Ghost say, thoughts from the devil have come into her mind. The devil has planted seeds in her mind that they've taken a slight because she's a woman of color. And tell her, it doesn't matter whether that's true or not. Her success is not based on that boss. It's based on me. I will promote and I will remove if I have to. Tell her not to quit. Tell her I'm watching her and I'm pleased with her. Whoever that is, whoever that is in Jesus' name. Take that word, please, and apply it and just hold the course. Don't you dare quit. God is working behind the scenes to bless you. Hallelujah. Woo, thank you, Jesus. My God. My God, my God, my God. Hallelujah. See how much he loves us. He sees what we go through. He sees the faint of heart. He sees that we were strong, but we're starting to get weaker. And all the thoughts and the bombardment of our mind, I'm telling you, God is with us. He's not going to let some ungodly person rob you of your, of your increase. He will... Open a new path if he has to. Just you keep trusting him and just keep being honorable and keep your words right and your heart right. It'll all surely come to pass. Hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I I wasn't planning on doing this, but I just felt, I just can't let it go. It could be a live stream person. I don't know. But I sense it's in the building, but I, I, can, I can miss it. It might be a live stream person. I don't know. But if that's you, if that's you, if that word was for you, I want you to stand up. I want to impart to you. Who is that? Okay. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you. I thank you, Jenny. I thank you, Father, that you now open rivers in dry places and streams in the midst of the valleys. I thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus, that all that she needs in these promotions, they come to pass. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, don't get in, don't get offended, don't get hard-hearted, Don't get hurt by people around you. Don't judge them. Don't speak against them. Keep pure and translucent in your heart. And just keep saying, Lord, I thank you that the blessing of God can't keep me down. Nothing can keep me down. The blessing of God causes me to rise. Causes me to rise. Don't matter my age. Don't matter my skin color. Don't matter my education. It causes me to rise. That blessing of God is like a buoy. I can't help it like a life jacket. I can't help but rise to the top. And Lord, you'll bypass any manager, any overseer, whatever whatever issues they've got, you'll bypass it for my sake. And I say it surely will come to pass. Now that word was for you. I knew it was for a young black lady in our church, but I wasn't sure who, and it could have been on live stream, it could have been in person. Now brother, lift your hands. Now you take that by faith, Jesse, because you can reach out the hand of faith and claim it, even though it is primarily for Chantel, you can claim that. Now Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that you open doors for him, that he holds his heart true and clean and pure, and he is faithful in the mundane season. And I thank you, Lord, that promotion will come. Open up that avenue, Father, that seems impossible. Make a way where there is no way. Make a river in a desert for him in the name of Jesus. Now you take that, brother. I release my faith with you, and it will surely come. I thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah.
Glory to God. Father, I thank you. It's all coming to pass. We are not afraid. <laughs> Hallelujah.